This is the Proactive IT Podcast. This week, the latest in IT and cybersecurity news. Plus, it's a strange new world. Lots of updates and patches. And should the government be allowed to scan our messages? This is episode 21. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Proactive IT Podcast. Each week, we talk about the latest in tech and cyber news, compliance, and more. We also bring you real-world examples to learn from so that you can better protect your business and your identity. This podcast is brought to you by Nuage Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant located in Central Connecticut. You can find us at nuagetech.com. That's N-W-A-J-Tech.com. All right, let's get into it. Times are a-changing, and that is for sure. Right now, things are upside down, inside out, left, right, up, down, who knows. Um, things are definitely challenging right now, but we're going to we're gonna stick with the program. We're going to stick with the, the outline here and continue to move forward. Um, if you are listening to this, greatly appreciated. We know you have other things you could be doing right now, but probably a lot less than normal at this point. Um, if you could review or like or share or comment on on the podcast platform that you're listening to this on would really appreciate that share it out to social media so that other people can listen to it as well and learn from it because this is a teaching podcast as well uh also if you are in a hipaa compliant business whether that's a covered entity or a business associate go to facebook in the search type and get hipaa compliance and join that group because we share hipaa information there all the time um and it, it'll prove to be beneficial to your business as it grows in the HIPAA world. Things are very fluid in the HIPAA world, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit right now, or in a little bit on this podcast. But first up, the question of the week, is there an app or software that can be used to send and sign PDF documents that is also HIPAA compliant? So the answer is there's probably more than one, but I will tell you the one that I would go with is DocuSign. DocuSign does have does have a HIPAA compliant um, function and they will sign a business associate agreement. I don't know the cost of that software for, for HIPAA compliance purposes. I know most softwares charge more money when HIPAA is involved, so it probably costs more than their normal package. But DocuSign, which is a very reputable uh, piece of software, I've used it for normal business purposes, um, Definitely uh, worth a look as far as as uh, sending and signing PDF documents that require HIPAA compliance. Along those lines, I also want to mention since I've been dealing with a lot of um, smaller practices, one man shops, and so forth that have gone and doing they're doing the telehealth um, work now. Zoom offers a package that is telehealth and HIPAA compliant. And it says telehealth. That's actually what they call it. So so you can go to zoom.us and take a look at the features of that. I, think, I believe there was a tab that said telehealth. Click on that. And I've set up a couple of practices, smaller practices today for, to be able to do, or this week, I should say, to be able to provide telehealth services to their clients. That being said, I'm going to talk about it a little more later. Um, the Trump 
did uh, relax, or the OCR did relax the um, the rules around telehealth. So essentially, you could use pretty much anything at this point to provide telehealth services. That I believe will be dangerous going forward, but for now, it is what it is. Patch Tuesday updates. So we had the Patch Tuesday updates that came last week. Uh, yeah, last week. I think it was last week. It just feels like it's been so long with everything that's happened in the last week and a half. It feels like it's been an eternity, I'll be honest with you. Um, it's only been a week, really, since my kids have been out of school, and it feels like it's been an eternity. But so last week, Patch Tuesday rolled out. There was patches for, of course, for Microsoft Windows. There was an out-of-band patch for SMBV3, an RCE, a remote code execution vulnerability, that um, is causing a lot of issues on its own. There was, um, in, so that didn't come out on Tuesday, but it came out a few days later. Um, Google had an update, um, and but not much else. There weren't, no, and I think Firefox had an update too. I'm not sure why I don't have it on my show notes. Uh, but there wasn't much else last week. Well, this week that's changed. So this week we have software updates from Drupal, Cisco. Um, Cisco released security updates for SD-WAN solution. Uh, Google again released updates to Google Chrome. So you should be on 80.0.3987.149. Adobe released updates for Adobe Reader and Adobe Acrobat. VMware released updates as well for multiple products. So a lot of updates this week. So get those patches applied in addition to your Microsoft patches. I might hold out, on, I mean, SMBV3 vulnerability is, is critical, considered critical, so I might be careful about holding out on that. But at the same time, I will be honest, I am holding out on it because it is causing a lot of issues for, for people right now. Um, <clears throat> that is going to do it for the Patch Tuesday update of the show, the portion of the show. Hold on for your news. All right, some of the week's hottest news. We got uh, ABC News reporting that suspicious uh, cyber activity targeting HHS tied to coronavirus response sources say. So the Department of Health and Human Services experienced confusion, uh, suspicious cyber activity Sunday night related to its coronavirus response administration sources confirmed to ABC News Monday. The suspicious activity HHS was not a hack, but it may have been a distributed denial of service attack or DDoS according to multiple sources uh, the distinction is important because there was no apparent breach of the HHS system which could interfere with critical functions of the lead agency responding to the coronavirus contagion a DDoS effort enlists automated users called bots to overwhelm a public facing system in order to slow it down or even paralyze it officials believe any coordinated effort against HHS if there was one, was not particularly successful and are satisfied that the system was not significantly affected. Nevertheless, the concern is that foreign actors might attempt to exploit the COVID-19 crisis to achieve some of their anti-American goals. So that is true. Um, and you're going to see an increased amount of activity against not just, you know, government, HHS, CDC, and things like that. You're going to see it against everybody. The work from home, the, the massive amount of 
um, people that are now working from home going to see an increase in activity target at those users as well because now they don't have the support system they have the support system but it's not readily available at you know right there it's not the same network it's there's there's a, it becomes a little more relaxed at that point and i think uh you're going to see an increased you're going to see increased activity in that in that area too uh, Bleepy Computer reported that FBI warns of human traffickers luring victims on social networks. FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center, IC3, today issued a public service announcement on human traffickers' continued usage of online platforms like dating, dating sites and social networks to lure victims. The FBI warns the public to remain vigilant of the threat posed by criminals who seek to traffic individuals through force, fraud, or coercion through popular social media and dating platforms, the PSA says. Offenders often exploit dating apps and websites to recruit and later advertise sex trafficking victims. In addition, offenders are increasingly recruiting labor trafficking victims through what appears to be legitimate job offers. According to the FBI's investigations, victims from various different backgrounds from rural areas to large cities are being lured by human traffickers also forced labor or into forced labor or sex work using online platforms. In many cases, the criminals who p will pose as legitimate job recruiters or agents of employment agencies and will bait the potential victims with the promise of fake employment and a better life. Individuals who share personal information on online platforms are the ones most likely to be targeted by such criminals, especially after posting about financial hardships, their struggles with low self-esteem, or their family problems. So why am I sharing this now? I, I think it's important to note that we're going to see some of that increase too. You're going to see people share that, you know, financial hardships because they're not working now and potentially fam family issues and low self-esteem issues. You're going to see more of that. And so you may see an increase in, especially with, you know, with a lot of companies laying off at this point, um, job offers that aren't real job offers. So be careful, be careful what you're sharing, be careful what you accept and what you do with, with the information that you get. Um, Tech Explored, and it's T-E-C-H-X-P-L-O-R-E.com. Researchers expose vulnerabilities of passwords managers. Um, now, this article doesn't point out any specific password manager, but I'll still go through it. Security experts recommend using a complex, some commercial password managers, sorry, some commercial password managers may be vulnerable to cyber attack by fake apps, new research suggests. Security experts recommend using a complex, random, and a unique password for every online account, but remembering them all would be a challenging task. That's where password managers come in handy. Encrypted vaults are accessed by a single pa master password or PIN. They store and autofill credentials for their user and come highly recommended by the UK's National Cyber Security Center. However, researchers at the University of York have shown that some commercial password managers may not be watertight way to ensure cybersecurity. After creating a malicious app to impersonate a legitimate Google app, they were able to fool two out of five of the password managers they tested into giving away a password. The research team found that some of the password managers use weak crit criteria for identifying an app and which username and password to suggest for autofill. The weakness allowed the researchers to impersonate a legitimate app simply by creating a rogue app with an identical name. Senior author of the study, Dr. Samak Shanda, Shahana, I, I can't say that, sorry, S-H-A-N-A-S-H-A-H-A-N-D-A-S-T, I'm sorry, S-H-A-H-A-N-D-A-S-H-T-I, from the Department of Computer Science in the University of York said, vulnerabilities in password managers provide opportunities for hackers to extract credentials, 
compromising commercial information or violating employee information because there are gatekeepers to a lot of sensitive information. Rigorous security analysis of password managers is crucial. Uh, and it goes on to talk about the study. So here's what I'll tell you. I don't know which two they're referring to or which five they tested. I could guess, but I don't know. Um, if you're using a password manager, you should be using multi-factor authentication as well and biometrics whenever possible. If, you're, if, the, if your password manager doesn't have those options, then you should be moving to a different password manager anyway. Um, reported on the Geek app by Alien Skills. So this is alienskills.com. Cloud database leak exposes 425 gigs of small business financial data. And I think I saw another breach, another similar, uh, I wouldn't call it a breach, but I guess a leak. Over half a million highly sensitive legal and financial documents have been leaked online by a U.S. loans company after another cloud configuration error. Security researchers at VPN Mentor, led by Noam Rodem, found the database in an unsecured Amazon Web Services, that's AWS for short, S3 bucket at the end of December. It appears to be linked to a smartphone app known as MCA Wizard, developed by New York-based fintechs Advantage Capital Funding and Argus Capital Funding, which VPN Mentor claimed were likely owned by the same company. They are said to provide merchant cash advances. Cash, yeah, merchant cash advances. Well, I cannot talk today. Sorry, sorry, people. Merchant cash advances, controversial, high interest loans for small businesses, startups, which you should probably stay away from anyway. But However, although the database URL contained the words MCA Wizard, the app is no longer available and most files bore no relation to the project. Even as the researchers discovered and tried to contact the firms without success, new files were apparently being uploaded to the database. 425 gig trove contained highly sensitive customer information, including credit reports, bank statements, driver's licenses, social security info, tax returns, scan checks, purchase orders, and much more. With this information, attackers could launch highly convincing phishing attacks, attempt check and financial fraud, target victim companies and malware, or even sell the data on the dark web, warned VPN Mentor, which is becoming more and more popular, by the way. The leak could even be investigated under the new California Consumer Privacy Act, CCPA, if it claimed, which means now they'll be subject to potential lawsuits from that. This leak raises serious credibility and trust issues for Advantage and Argus by not sufficiently securing this database and revealing so much information they have compromised the safety, privacy, and security of their clients, partners, and customers, the firm said. Those affected may take action against Advantage and Argus for doing so, either from ceasing to do business with either company or possibly pursuing legal actions. Both would result in considerable loss of clients, contracts, business relationships, and ultimately revenue. After receiving no reply from the database owners, the researchers went directly to AWS, which promptly corrected the privacy snafu on January 9th. So... Um, another misconfigured AWS S3 bucket, and you see the results. It's not, not, not a good thing. I mean, we, you need to have qualified people managing your AWS three buckets, S3 buckets. Uh, and then finally, Tech Republic. Much of the U.S. healthcare system is running on outdated, outdated software, unsupported operating systems such as Windows Seven, leaving devices vulnerable to hackers actively exploiting. The coronavirus. So we know there's going to we've we've talked about this for weeks now. There's going to be an increase in cyber attacks because of coronavirus. The coronavirus right now has everybody's attention, and so there's going to be a huge increase. There already has been a huge increase in uh, in attacks, and uh, you have these vulnerable machines 
And so the numbers are here in this article here. Even as coronavirus continues its unrelenting spread across the country, I know it's more than half. The country and hospitals are gearing up for what is expected to be a massive influx of sick patients. They are on their back foot when it comes to cybersecurity. According to research from Atlas VPN, 83% of healthcare systems are running on outdated software. Atlas based part of the findings on Palo Alto Network survey of 12, or I'm sorry, 1.2 million Internet of Things devices used in thousands of healthcare organizations across the U.S. Palo survey found that 56% of devices were still running on Windows 7 operating systems, which Microsoft stopped supporting in January. Due to the COVID-19 outbreak, hospitals are using patient monitoring devices more than ever, said Rachel Welch, Atlas VPN COO. Research shows that one in four such devices have security issues. Based on these numbers, Atlas VPN estimates that cyber criminals will be focusing on the healthcare sector in 2020. Today, 16% of imaging systems are at a 51% risk of getting hacked. There is 26% chance that 14% of patient monitoring tools will get attacked. The research also found that 27% of medical devices are still running Windows XP or decommissioned versions of Linux OS. I mean, that's 27% of medical devices are still running Windows XP. Atlas also reports that in 2019, the number of stolen medical records increased by 65%, impacting 40 million Americans. Even if you do not upgrade to Windows 10, your device will continue to operate normally, said Atlas, but you will no longer receive essential security updates or bug fixes, meaning your device becomes vulnerable to various security threats. Given the severity of the coronavirus threat and the active targeting of healthcare organizations by hackers looking to cash in using ransomware, more than 40% of healthcare executives were planning to improve their cybersecurity measures in 2020. Now, that was probably a quote before all this stuff happened, but still this leaves many digital medical devices vulnerable today as engineers responsible for mainframe or maintaining these devices often do not receive proper training or resources to ensure best safety practices are being followed. Cyber criminals have been using the situation to, t- to their advantage since the beginning of the coronavirus spread, Atlas said. For instance, by creating fake coronavirus maps, they were able to trick people into downloading malware into their devices. It was only a matter of time before hackers began to take a step further by exploiting the vulnerabilities lying in the U.S. healthcare system. Those maps, by the way, if you go to coronavirus.jhu.edu slash map.html, that is a legitimate map. They're using that map to cover up malware, not John Hopkins, but malicious attackers are using that map to cover up malware on other websites. So if you're going to use, look at this map, then the best one is the address I just gave. That's coronavirus.jhu.edu slash map.html. All right, our first hot topic of this podcast this week, the Earn IT bill is the government's plan to scan every message online. So kind of important for you to, to listen to this because, you know, either whatever side of the of this you fall on, um, it's important that you your voice is heard. So imagine an internet where the law required every message sent to be read by government-approved scanning software. Companies that handle such messages wouldn't be allowed to securely encrypt them or they'd lose legal protections that allow them to operate. So what does that mean? So you, me- you might remember the, the uh, 
or the Patriot Act, I think it was called, that was um, that allowed the government to scan text messages and so forth and phone calls. And they basically, they listened to, they listened for certain certain buzzwords, I guess you could say. Um, I don't think that that Patriot Act is in effect anymore. I'm not sure. Not a lawyer, and, and I don't really follow those things too carefully. But this bill is sort of similar in that it would scan online messages and those messages through WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, um, t- Telegraph, or tele- is it Telegraph or Telegram, um, things like that. And so they'll be allowed to scan those messages and they're telling those vendors, so we all, WhatsApp, if you don't know, WhatsApp is supposed to be secure. It's encrypted um, end-to-end encryption. And so nobody's supposed to be able to eavesdrop on those conversations, although it has happened. Um, the, the U.S. government is saying we don't want WhatsApp to have that capability. So that's what the Senate Judiciary Committee has proposed and hopes to pass into law the so-called Earn It, and it's E-A-R-N, and an IT bill sponsored by Senators Lindsey Graham, Republican of South Carolina, and Richard Blumenthal, Democrat of Connecticut. Um, so I'm in Connecticut, obviously. Richard Blumenthal is is a senator here in Connecticut. This will strip Section 230, 230 protections away from any website that doesn't follow a list of best practices, meaning those sites can be sued into bankruptcy. The best practices list will be created by a government commission headed by Attorney General Barr, who has made it very clear he would like to ban encryption and guarantee law enforcement legal access to any any digital message. The Earn IT bill has had its first hearing today, and so this was written on the 12th. Um, So it had its first hearing today, and its supporters' strategy is clear because they didn't put the word encryption in the bill. They're going to insist it doesn't affect encryption. This bill says nothing about encryption, co-sponsor Senator Blumenthal said at today's hearing. Have you found a word in this bill about encryption, he asked one witness. It's true that the bill's authors avoided using the, the, that word, but they did propose legislation that enables an all-out assault, assault on encryption. It would create a 19-person commission that's completely controlled by the Attorney General and law enforcement agencies. And at the hearing, a vice president at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, NCMEC, made it clear what he wants the best practices to be. NCMEC believes online services should be made to screen their messages for material that NCMEC considers abusive. Use screening technology approved by NCMEC and law enforcement. Report what they find in messages to NCMEC and be held legally responsible for the content of messages sent by others. That's kind of dangerous. You can't have an internet where messages are screened in mass and also have end-to-end encryption and more than more than you can create backdoors that can only be used by good guys. The two are mutually exclusive. Concepts like client-side scanning aren't a clever route around this. Such scanning is just another way to break end-to-end encryption. Either the message remains private to everyone but its recipients or it's available to others. The 19-person draft commission isn't any better than the 15-person commission envisioned in an early draft of the bill. It's completely dominated by law enforcement and allied groups like NCMEC. Not only will those groups have a majority of the votes on the commission, but the bill gives Attorney General Barr the power to veto or approve the list of best practices. Even if other commission members do disagree with the law enforcement, Barr's veto power will put him in a position to strong-arm them. 
The commission won't be a body that seriously considers policy. It will be a vehicle for creating a law enforcement wish list. Barr has made clear over and over again that breaking encryption is at the top of that wish list. Once it's broken, authoritarian regimes around the world will rejoice as they have the ability to add their own types of mandatory scanning, not just for child sexual abuse material, but for self-expression that those governments want to suppress. The privacy and security of our all users will suffer if U.S. law enforcement is able to achieve its dream of breaking encryption. Senators should reject the Earn It bill. So I read this on EFF.org. That's the electronic, I forget what EFF stands for, Electronic Frontier Foundation. And they're the ones that led the, the fight against um, other other things along the internet front in the past. If you would prefer to take action, you can do that from that website, EFF.org. And it is the Earn IT Bill. Uh, also, given our current state of affairs in this country, I have a post that... Um, on health healthcare IT news, OCR will ease restrictions on telehealth tech during COVID-19. The privacy watchdog won't impose penalties on providers who use non-HIPAA compliant remote communications technology during the public health emergency. <clears throat> I personally think this is a risky move. Um, I get why they're doing it. I don't think it's a good idea. The HHS Office of Civil Rights announced on Tuesday that during the coronavirus pandemic, it will use discretion when enforcing HIPAA compliance for telehealth communication tools. Even though some of these technologies may not fully comply with HIPAA requirements, OCR says it will not impose penalties for non-compliance with the regulatory requirements under the HIPAA rules against covered health care providers in connection with the good faith provision of telehealth during the COVID-19 nationwide public health emergency. Covered entities seeking to use audio or video communication tech to reach patients where they live can use any non-public-facing remote communication product that is available to communicate with patients, said the agency. This exercise of discretion applies to telehealth provided for any reason, regardless of whether the telehealth service is related to the diagnosis and treatment of the health conditions related to COVID-19. To help broaden use of remote consults, consults during the outbreak, OCR says providers will temporarily be allowed to use applications such as Apple FaceTime, Facebook Messenger, Video Chat, Google Hangouts, Video, or Skype. OCR does, does note, however, that healthcare providers should notify patients that such third-party apps may pose privacy risks. In addition, providers should enable all available encryption and privacy modes when using each application or such applications. The agency also specifies that Facebook Live, Twitch, TikTok, and other public-facing video communications should not be used in provision of telehealth. So should not go live and share your telehealth session with other people, if that's not abundantly obvious already. Whenever, wherever possible, providers should use telehealth tools from vendors that are HIPAA compliant and enter into business associate agreements, said OCR. So that means um, it is obviously temporary. Uh, and if you can, you should still be using those. And as I mentioned earlier in this episode, Zoom is a great tool for that. While specifying that is not that his, his while specifying that it is it has not reviewed the BAAs offered by these vendors and this list does not constitute an endorsement certification or recommendation the agency lists companies that claim HIPAA compliance and willingness to sign BAAs including Skype for Business which is a, which is another tool I've I've um, suggested to healthcare providers and that's through Office 365. Updocs, VSC, Zoom for Healthcare, DocsyMe, and Google G Suite Hangouts Meet. 
how telehealth is in the spotlight as the coronavirus crisis unfolds, offering an essential link between patients and physicians while removing the need to travel to overburdened hospitals. On Tuesday, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services expanded its Medicare telehealth coverage during the COVID-19 pandemic to enable more patients to get virtual care services from their providers. Physicians, nurse practitioners, clinical psychologists, and licensed clinical social workers can now offer telehealth to Medicare beneficiaries in any healthcare facility, including a physician's office, hospital, nursing home, or rural health clinic, as well as from their homes, according to CMS. We are empowering medical providers to serve patients wherever they are during this national public health emergency, said OCR Director Roger Severino in a statement. We are especially concerned about reaching those most at risk, including older persons and persons with disabilities. So we've always said the HIPAA is about patient care, and if you're in the business of healthcare, then you're supposed to care about your patient. So there is this. They're relaxing the rules around telehealth for now. Don't expect it to last. It will not last. And when it does, be prepared to switch back to normal HIPAA-compliant methods of, of conducting business in, in healthcare. All right, we have a little good news, I guess, in this uh, time of pandemic and isolation and so forth. Bleeping Computer reports Netflix party lets you watch shows with friends to fight isolation. Feeling lonely during the period of social social isolation or self-quarantine, a Chrome browser extension lets you binge watch your favorite Netflix shows with friends and family while text chatting with them. With social interaction at a minimum during the COVID-19 outbreak, people rightfully feel cooped up and lonely during due to not being able to do anything with their friends. A free Chrome browser extension called Netflix Party may help bring a little social interaction back into your life. Netflix Party allows friends and family to watch the same show together while providing a text chat room experience. To use this browser extension, each user must be logged into Netflix and have the Netflix Party extension installed. A user can then start a Netflix video pause it and click on the MP button in the Chrome Omnibar to create a group link that will that can be shared with others. When creating this group, I suggest you make it to so only the group creator can control the video playback so that the other people do not pause the video whenever they want. When another user with Netflix Party clicks on the shared link, they will automatically be brought to the selected video and a chat room will be shown on the right side of the screen. This chat allows you to set your name Use one of the few available avatars and chat with other while you are watching the show or movie. The group creator can then start the show and pause it as needed, and the show will start and pause on the other party members' computers. In Bleeping Computers Test, the process works very well, but there will be a slight delay between the person controlling the video and others who are part of the party. In our test, this only caused about one to two second delay. It should be also noted that this extension does track your activity and what Netflix shows you watch but will tie this data to your anonymous Netflix party ID. If this does if this does not bother you, the Netflix party may be a great way to watch a show or movie with some friends to ease the social isolation. So there's an attempt to um, kind of deal with the social isolation, the social distancing they're calling it, um, whatever you want to call it. There's a There's an attempt to deal with that, so that's good news. I would also recommend using something like Facebook Messenger or Zoom to maybe have group meetings. Um, we're doing it for our, for our business networking groups as well. But this way you're not completely cut off in the world and you have some social interaction with the outside world during this time. So that's another thought. 
Um, I've shared some other tips of things you could do. I mean, it's a great time to do spring cleaning and yard work and whatever because if you're not going anywhere else, you may as well get it done, right? Because eventually this will stop and then you'll wish you had done it. All right, our HIPAA education for the week. <clears throat> We're going to talk about it's timely. So OCR will ease restrictions on telehealth tech during COVID-19. The privacy watchdog won't impose penalties on providers who use non-HIPAA compliant remote communications technology during the public health emergency. And I did an Instagram TV about this a few days ago. So if you follow Nawaj Tech on Instagram, NWAJ Tech, um, you'll see that it's I believe it's the most recent post on there as well. So watch Instagram TV for us and you'll see, you can see what I talked about, but I'll talk about it here too. The HHS Office for Civil Rights announced on Tuesday that during the coronavirus pandemic, it will use discretion when enforcing HIPAA compliance for telehealth communications tools. So telehealth just means you're providing the healthcare services you would normally provide in person. You're providing it over a platform like Zoom, or in this case, you can use Facebook Messenger or FaceTime. Um, but Zoom and Skype for Business are usually the two most common platforms to do that with. Even though some of these technologies may not fully comply with HIPAA requirements, OCR says it will not impose penalties for noncompliance with the regulatory requirements under the HIPAA rules against covered health care providers in connection with the good faith provision of telehealth during the COVID-19 nationwide public health emergency. So that is an actual statement. It is important to understand that it is only during the nationwide public health emergency. So once that subsides, then you will be required to go back to doing things the way you're supposed to do it under HIPAA. Covered entities seeking to use audio or video communication tech to eat, to reach patients where they live can use any non-public facing remote communication product that is available to communicate with patients, said the agency. This ex exercise of discretion applies to telehealth provided for any reason, regardless of whether the telehealth service is related to the diagnosis and treatment of health conditions related to COVID-19. So the health uh, treatment doesn't need to be related to COVID-19. It could be anything. Um, you know, if you're a therapist and you want to apply, you want to, um, you want to be able to practice remotely, you can use telehealth. To help broaden the use of remote consults during the outbreak, OCR says providers will temporarily be allowed to use applications such as Apple FaceTime, Facebook Messenger, Video Chat, Google Hangouts, Video, or Skype. OCR does note, however, that healthcare providers should notify patients that such third-party apps may pose privacy risks, so they're not as secure as, as the ones that have been approved. Um, in addition, providers should enable all available encryption and privacy modes when using such applications. The agency also specifies that Facebook Live Twitch, TikTok, and other public-facing video communications should not be used in provision of healthcare. So in other words, you can't go on Facebook Live because people are going to see it that's broadcast out to the public. And the same for Twitch and TikTok and so forth. And um, um, I, forget what, uh, I forget what Twitter's version is, but Twitter and Instagram Live, those things are public-facing. People are going to see it. Wherever possible, providers should use telehealth tools from vendors that are HIPAA compliant and will enter into a business associate agreement, said the OCR. And so they have a list here, but I will tell you Zoom is probably the best one and then Skype for Business being the next. So while specifying what is not, has not reviewed the BAAs offered by those vendors and this list does not constitute 
an endorsement certification or recommendation that agency lists companies that claim a HIPAA compliance and willingness to sign BAAs, including Skype for Business, UpDocs, VSE, Zoom for Healthcare, DoxyMe, and Google G Suite Hangouts Meet. Telehealth is in the spotlight as the coronavirus crisis unfolds, offering an essential link between patients and physicians while removing the need to travel to overburdened hospitals. On Tuesday, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services expanded its Medicare telehealth coverage during the COVID-19 pandemic to allow to enable more patients to get virtual care services of their from their providers. Physicians, nurse practitioners, clinical psychologists, and licensed clinical social workers can now offer healthcare to Medicare beneficiaries in any healthcare facility, including a physician's office, hospital, nursing home, rural healthcare clinic, or the actual home, according to CMS. We are empowering medical providers to serve patients wherever they are during this national public health emergency, said OCR Director Roger Severino in a statement. We are especially concerned about reaching those most at risk, including older persons and persons with disabilities. Uh, you're going to see an increase in mental health issues with isolation. I can promise you that. So you're going to uh, want to, if you're in the therapy, psychiatry, psychology, whatever, you're going to want to be able to offer telehealth services um, so that you can reach those that need the, the guidance at that, that time as well. Um, that being said, it concerns me a little bit that we're doing this because I, I did set up some, some of my clients to be able to do this through the proper channel. So they're all set up on Zoom for healthcare. Zoom, it's called telehealth on the Zoom site. And yes, it costs a few dollars, but they're doing it the right way because what's going to happen is when they, when they, when the pandemic ends, um, they're going to have to go back to normal routine. And when that happens, you're going to have patients that have gotten used to you FaceTiming them or Facebook messaging them. And that's going to, going to be a problem for you and your practice because then it only takes one complaint. It only takes one complaint. And then you're going to be looking at a problem. Uh, most likely the OCR would come in and say, give you some technical advice, tell you what to do. But then if you continue, then you're looking at trouble. The other concern I have is that I've heard people say that, you know, there's no HIPAA now. The HIPAA has gone out the window. No, that is not true. All of the rest of HIPAA is still in place. We cannot divulge PHI for any reason. If you get hit with a phishing attack or ransomware attack, whatever, you're still obligated to report it. The, the other HIPAA rules have not been relaxed. It's only the rules around telehealth. Right, it's time for our HIPAA breach report, and as I'm recording this, I'm going to check one last time, but there have been no HIPAA breach reported, HIPAA breaches reported in um, probably close to two weeks now, primarily because the HHS is um, busy with the coronavirus outbreak, so, and as I say that, there is a post here of roundup of recent healthcare data breaches, so let's go through it. Texas Network of Walk-In Clinics attacks with Maze Ransomware, a Fortacare Urgent Care Clinic, a network of walk-in clinics in Texas, has been attacked by the Maze Ransomware gang, according to a recent report on Data Breaches Net. The hacker stole 40 gigs of data prior to encrypting files. Some of the stolen data was published online when a Fortacare refused to pay the ransom. The published data included patient contact details, 
medical, medical histories, diagnosis, billing information, health insurance information, and employee payroll data. It is currently unclear how many patients have been affected as the breach has not yet appeared on the HHS OCR breach portal. So um, doesn't it also doesn't list the date as to when it happened. Tandem Diabetes Care Inc. in San Diego, California has been targeted by cyber criminals who gain access to the email accounts of a limited number of, of its employees between January 17, 2020 and January 20 of 2020. The attack was discovered on January 17th and cybersecurity firm was engaged to assist with the investigation. An analysis of the compromised accounts revealed they contained patients' names, contact information, clinical information related to diabetes care, and information about customers' use of Tandem's products and services. A limited number of social security numbers may also have been compromised. Of course, Tandem is enhancing email security controls, but little too little too late. When multiple accounts are compromised, that just means there is no phishing mitigation in place and there is no multi-factor authentication in place. The Cambridge, Massachusetts-based provider for genomic profiling services, Foundational Medicine, has discovered the email account of an employee has been compromised as a result of response to phishing email. The incident was discovered on January 14th. A third-party forensics firm was engaged to conduct an investigation and determined the email account was accessible between December 17th and January 14th, so almost a month. During that time, an authorized individual, unauthorized individual potentially accessed patient information in the email account, which included patient names, dates of birth, ages, test names, ordering physicians' names, FMI ID numbers. Foundational Medicine has notified all affected patients and additional security awareness training has been provided in the workforce. Um, so no indication of how many people there either. Randleman Eye Center in North Carolina has experienced a ransomware attack that affected a server containing patients' protected health information. The attack was detected on January 13, 2020, and a third-party computer forensics firm was retained to assist with the investigation. The investigation is ongoing, but the investigators have determined Patient information was encrypted in the attack and could potentially have been accessed by the attackers. The server contained names, dates of birth, genders, and digital retinal images. Torrance Memorial Medical Center in California has discovered a server used by third-party radiology vendor and security protections removed that allowed certain patient information to be accessed by unauthorized individuals. So... Oh, okay, so I read that wrong. So let me read it again. Torrance Medical Health Center in California has discovered a server used by a third-party radiology vendor had security protections removed that allowed certain patient information to be accessed by unauthorized individuals. TMMC was notified about the potential data breach by its radiology vendor on January 6th. The investigation revealed protections were accidentally removed on June 20th, so six months' worth, and server could be accessed by unauthorized individuals up to December 13, 2020. The risk to each patient is believed to be low as radiology images were only stored on the server for a short period of time. Every 24 hours, images on the server are automatically deleted. However, over the course of six months, the server temporarily stored the medical images of 3,448 patients. Those radiology images included names, dates of birth, gender, accession number, medical record number, and referring physician names. And then on January 16, 2020, genuine Dental Care in Saratoga, California, discovered thieves had broken into its offices and had stolen a server that contained the protected health information of 2,190 patients. Data on the server required multiple passwords to be entered in order for patient information to be accessed. However, it is possible that the thieves accessed patient data. 
Well, so this means it wasn't encrypted. If they're reporting it, it means it wasn't encrypted. And if it's not encrypted, it doesn't matter if you have passwords or not. Patient information stored on the server included names, addresses, telephone numbers, source security numbers, driver's license numbers, health insurance information, dental records, and some financial information, including credit card numbers. Genuine Dental Care also reports that medical images of certain patients that received dental treatment between June 2019 and January 2020 have been permanently lost. The incident was reported to the San Jose Police Department, which is conducting an investigation. Genuine Dental Care has taken steps to improve physical security and additional technical controls have been implemented to further protect patient data. I feel like we've talked about this before because, um, first of all, it's a dentist. And so, again, this just reiterates that what I've been saying for months now, that dentists are supposed to be covered under HIPAA. But more importantly, you didn't encrypt your server. And you can say you have passwords all you want. It's not hard to grab information off of a server, even if you don't have the password. If the data is not encrypted, it's very easy to do. So you left your patient's data exposed um, on a server, probably thinking oh, nobody's going to walk out of here with a server, but somebody did. All right, that is going to do it for the HIPAA breach report. Um, surprise breach report because they hadn't reported anything since uh, the 9th, so it's been 11 days. So, um but that is going to, to do it for the HIPAA Breach Report, and that is going to do it for the Proactive IT Podcast. So until next week, stay safe, stay secure, and stay healthy.